Welcome to the Lakeside Baptist Church Podcast. We pray you are blessed as you hear the Word of God today. For more information regarding Lakeside Baptist Church, please visit lakeside.asn.au. Good morning, good to be together in God's house, to be able to turn to God's Word. You can hear a couple of whispers and a couple of murmurings. <laughs> Folk, I'm sure uh, a lot of you are offended with um, my earrings, and uh, only one person said no. Uh, uh, and I'm sure a lot of you are offended with uh, wearing me wearing a cap in the church. Uh, somebody said yes. Um, but what about the tobacco in my pocket? It's Anthony's. Uh, but, um, <laughs> but, but so I don't offend you too much further. It's interesting that we can get so easily offended many, many times... And that is what we can focus on rather than the actual job of a Christian, and that's to worship the Lord Jesus Christ through serving one another. I was going, I went across to the neighbor and I said, is there a packet of cigarettes that I could use, uh, you know, just uh, as an illustration? She said, no, but we vape now, so could you? And I thought I certainly would offend you by doing that. But folk, this week we take a look at do not lie or slander one another. And uh, there are three main passages uh, in this section. Uh, one of them is Colossians 3.9 where it says do not lie to each other. Uh, and it's in the context of putting off your old self and, and putting on the new self. It's, it's as if uh, the new self is there and you get into it. You, you, you fit into it. The other passage is James 4, verse 11, uh, where it says, do not slander one another. So we know what lying is. It's, it's, um, it's telling an untruth um, or, or uh, spreading some propaganda or some falsehood. Uh, and, and we can often, as Christians, talk about a white lie. Uh, you know, uh, somebody, somebody said to me once, uh, it's not necessarily a white lie, it's a holy lie, you know, and we can spiritualize that. But then, uh, you know, the word slander means to, to slur or to insult somebody uh, or to defame them and disparage them. Uh, but in this particular context of the passage in Romans chapter 14, um, Paul writes, uh, and he doesn't necessarily say do not lie or slander one another, but he talks about uh, not passing judgment in such a way that you become a stumbling block for a weaker person, to, to become a stumbling block for a weaker brother or sister. And the passage is Romans chapter 14, verses 13 to 23. And it says this, Therefore, let us stop passing judgment. Aaron, is it working? There we go. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, 
Make up your mind and do not put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I'm convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone who, for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore not make every effort to do what leads to peace and, do not, uh, and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean. But it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat because their eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. I think what Paul is saying here, guard your attitude. Put a a, a fence around your attitude, because I can have certain taboos or restrictions that uh, in my culture might uh, offend you. But then you might have them in your culture, and they might offend me. But it's not necessarily those taboos that we're talking about, but how do we see somebody else in the kingdom of God? We know that there are some issues that the Bible addresses uh, immediately and quite clearly. But there are some issues that the Bible doesn't address. And, And Paul, in Romans 14, verse 1, talks about these matters as disputable matters, matters that are are not absolutely clear. But the way we deal with them is important because we can condemn others because of our opinion about that particular issue. And so, to quote uh, St. Augustine, he said, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, charity. So what is he talking about here? Well, uh, in essentials, unity. Those things that are, are, are almost the hull of the boat, like uh, the immaculate conception of the Lord Jesus Christ, his uh, birth, his sinless life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his imminent return, those are essentials, and there we need to all agree, because that's basically what allows that boat to float, the hull. But in non-essentials, he says that there can be some freedom. In other words, you know, the color of the mast, uh, that, that is not the most important thing. Whether it's pink or green or white, it doesn't really matter what color it is, uh, because, you know, it doesn't matter what color it is, because that will allow it to still sail uh, and catch the wind. 
And certainly when it comes to uh, issues like uh, all things, uh, he says charity. Uh, and that's a, a beautiful old-fashioned word for love. Like in the old King James Version, you know, in 1 Corinthians 13, it doesn't talk about love necessarily, which is the love chapter of the Bible in the New Testament, but it talks about charity. And so St. Augustine is saying there are certain things that are fundamental that we need to hold on to. And there are other things that, you know, there's a bit of freedom around them. Uh, and, And basically with all things, let's show love to one another. Because there are a bunch of rules uh, in the scriptures that often we like and they work for us. Uh, all the thou shalt nots, you know, we, we love some of those and, and they work for us. But folk, in reality, no one is perfect and we all know that. In fact, uh, we can actually say we're not perfect. But, you know, when we begin to find fault with every little thing and begin to twist certain things, we will end up lying and slandering and allowing a weaker person to stumble and fall. Now, you know, uh, I read recently that in the 1950s there were rules against uh, good Baptists that they weren't able to smoke, they weren't able to dance, they weren't able to drink too much, they weren't able to play cards, and they certainly weren't allowed to go to the movies. And so you kind of go, well, uh, you know, things have changed. But does it uh, directly address those things in the Bible? And for some, they still hold on to those rules and regulations. And it works for them. Now, friends, in reality, the only people who don't smoke, drink, dance, play cards, chew with their mouth open, uh, chew bubblegum, and do some of these things... Uh, there's thousands of those, and they found at the Fremantle Cemetery down the road here. But the rest of us are human, and as we live this human life, how do we make the most of it without becoming a stumbling block for somebody else? Because we read that Jesus said the thief comes only to steal and to destroy. Now, it's not talking only about your physical possessions, but it's talking about your spirituality as well. Jesus says, I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. And so what does that mean for you and for me in August 2022 to live our lives to the full without become a stumbling block for the weaker person? Well, here are a few points I suggest to you. Number one, freedom is to not be a stumbling block or an obstacle for anybody else. And Paul addresses that in verses 13 to 15. Uh, And he's saying, listen, put a guard around your actions. Put a guard around how you live your life. Because, uh, you know, we know that we are free. In fact, he, he talks about our freedom so much in the book of Galatians. But be careful that your freedom doesn't allow you to become a stumbling block for anybody else. And, and in verse 13, he says, therefore, let us stop passing judgment. And that word judgment in the Greek, krino, means let, let's stop kind of suggesting that people be punished, that people are condemned. And in fact, we sentence them. Because if I read and understand the Beatitudes, it is only God who can do that. 
But you and I are to, and there's a different Greek word for judge, uh, and that's more like what is good and what is bad, so we hold on to the good. And so what Paul is talking about here, be careful you don't sentence somebody, because it's not your job. You're not God, by the way, as my wife reminds me regularly. You know. uh, so, so guard yourself from those actions and don't become a stumbling block by passing judgment. And he says... Um, Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. That word obstacle is a very interesting Greek word. The word skandalon, where we get the English word scandal. And, and what it's saying here, listen, be careful you don't have this movable trap, a movable trap that allows you to bend the rules in such a way that they end up in a lie or a slander in such a way that you become a trap for somebody, or you set up a trap. And you can move it to suit yourself to catch somebody else out. Be careful, Paul is saying, because you're free, but free to do good rather than to uh, become a stumbling block for the weaker person. And so he, he says, let's be careful not to offend somebody else. And the word there uh, that's used for distressed, it means to offend. Let's not put a heaviness, is what that word means, onto somebody else that allows them to become uh, derailed of the truth. And, and so he's saying, all food is clean. That's okay. That's my freedom that I can actually say that. But love actually says, listen... Uh, be careful that it doesn't become a stumbling block for anybody else. Now, friends, I've got uh, pictures there of some Hindu cakes uh, on the left-hand block there. Yummy Hindu cakes. And um, uh, back in Johannesburg, I was a producer at the national broadcaster, the South African Broadcasting Corporation. Uh, uh, I had a Christian counseling program, but then uh, after apartheid, they brought the other religions into the national broadcaster and uh, to, before they employed a Hindu producer, uh, I had to do the Hindu devotions called Aum, A-U-M. And so I traveled around the country uh, to Cape Town and to uh, Durban and brought people in to do a five-minute devotion. And uh, the Hindus would give you some delicious sweet eats to say thank you for coming. And um, the one time I had a non-Christian producer, and so when they gave it to me, these eats, uh, on the way back, uh, we were able to share them. And they were jolly delicious. You know, and, and so they were yum. So I couldn't wait to get back. The second time, there was a Christian cameraman, and he said to me, he says, listen, I don't know where those sweets have been. It could have been given or, or, or made and offered to the Hindu gods. And so I said to him, but you know what? We're Christians. We don't need to worry about the Hindu gods. He said, you can have them, but not for me. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. And I, 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 you know, I thought, when he drops me off, I'll take them and I'll munch them all. It's his fault if he doesn't want to share, you know. Crazy guy, crazy Christian, you know. So I thought, no. I said to him, I said, you know what, just pull over on the side of the road here and I want to put them in the bin. Why? Because it seemed like that I was going to become a stumbling block 
for that other Christian. So my attitude was, what a waste of food. We don't waste food, especially food that's colored like that, that tastes so yummy. But you know what? There was something deeper. There was this whole idea that that I don't become a stumbling block because I was able to justify, in fact, probably from the Bible, that we are not to waste. (laughs) But, you know, it could have become a stumbling block for him. I could have bent the rules in such a way that it would uh, become a stumbling block. In fact, we could have had a discussion about it, and I could have moved the goalposts and twisted Scripture that would allow me to end up lying or slandering, going that crazy person. But I learned a lesson for life through that. And so Paul is saying, listen, be careful, because uh, you, you don't want to uh, trap somebody. In fact, Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 9 to 11, he says, Be thankful ever that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. Or if anyone with a weak conscience sees who you Uh, sees you who has this knowledge. And we ask the question, what knowledge? The knowledge that can allow somebody else to be tripped up. And so you, you can say, well, it's their problem. If they don't know what the Bible says, it's their problem. But it's not the case. He's saying the onus is on you that knows this, and now that you know this, don't be allowed to become a stumbling block for the weaker person. There's a picture of some, some people drinking there. It's like if I were to be a youth leader uh, and we go somewhere and I'll say, can we have uh, 20 milkshakes for the youth and one double whiskey for me? Well, I mean, I'm not making the kids drunk, but they will go, hey, it's okay to drink alcohol because our leader is actually giving us the example to follow. So in this particular case, I would probably say 21 milkshakes, please, rather than 20 milkshakes and uh, some alcohol. Because the whole idea here is that we don't become a stumbling block for those who are looking at us. But there's another issue here that, that Jesus addresses, you know, especially with the Pharisees, that there are some hard-hearted Pharisees, uh, the New Testament talks about, that, that actually are not prepared to, to learn. They are not teachable. And so, uh, you know, there are some people who are so stayed in their ways that they are not prepared to barge either way because that's what they know. I don't want to bring this issue up But probably 20 years ago, this thing about choruses in the church, you know? Um, And so, you know, we we just want to sing hymns and and not too many choruses. And then choruses, you know, they're a little bit louder, and then the drums, you know, they make us crazy. And so what do we do? We go, okay, if you want to have a bit of a boring hymn session, come to the morning service. If you want the sound to be turned up, come to the evening service. And so, you know, sometimes it got so loud in the evening that it was too loud to hear it. And so you kind of go, well, guess what? We've actually split the congregation. So the oldies come in the morning, and the not-so-oldies come at night. And you've got two separate congregations there. And that has not been the best if you look and reflect. But instead of actually saying, how can we talk about this together? And so I think we've actually reached a stage where we can have both. 
But there are some people who say, no, that's how we used to have it, and that's how it was done, and that's it. But then, what about the younger person who's not as mature as the older person? And Jesus actually uses some really harsh words, probably some of the harshest words in the New Testament in Matthew 23, verse 13. And he says to these uh, Pharisees, he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You should know better, he says to them. You hypocrites. You shut the kingdom of God in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. In other words, you are actually making it difficult for somebody else. You're not prepared to even sit with them. You've just shut them out. That's it. Case closed. You see, in that next picture there, there's a difference between uh, law and grace. And I think we live almost in those yellow or greeny patches there where, where, uh, you know, sometimes we're a little bit in the law side and other times a bit in the grace side. But when you take the law to its extreme, that becomes legalism. Now, it could work for me. That square box could work for me. But the problem comes when I demand it of everybody else. That's the dangerous legalistic side. The other extreme is that we, well, you know what, everything goes. God, you know, sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us, and so anything goes. And that extreme is called license. And so we must be careful of those extremes. And so what Paul is saying to us, be careful that you don't become a stumbling block for anybody else. Think about the other person, because if, you, if it's all about self, then you will lie and slander and bend those rules in such a way that you will become a stumbling block. Secondly, we are free. We are free. But we need to ask the question, will this freedom break down the work of God? Will this freedom break down the work of God? Because in verse 20, he says, Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. And the word destroy, the kataleo, means to, to disunite, to dissolve it, to, to, to actually um, you know, demolish it. Don't break down what God is doing. And folks, that often comes with this fundamental attitude. You know, that's how it is, and that's how it's going to stay. And that's what religion does. So if you look at that little picture there, there's a little fish in that bowl. And I want to suggest to you that's religion. Because it, we are stayed in our ways and nothing is going to move us. That's how I grew up. That's what my nana and my pop taught me. And that's how it's going to be. And I'm not prepared to barge either way. But on the other side is that spirituality that actually says, you know what, I'm free in Christ. But my freedom doesn't allow me to just go ballistic and to destroy what God is doing in my life or in the life of those I come into contact with. And Paul is very careful on how he says it, because in verse 17 he says, the kingdom of God is not what you eat or what you drink. It is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because if we're honest with ourselves, some of those fundamental things that we insist on actually don't make a difference in the long-term scheme of things. Yeah, but that's what my mom and dad said. But at the end of the day, have we ever questioned why are we doing it? 
Now, folk, I'm not trying to be antinomian or, or rebellious, but, uh, you know, what are we actually doing? And have we ever thought, well, that's right or that's wrong? But because it's, we've inherited some of that thinking, you know, how do, what does it really matter? 2 Corinthians 4.18, Paul says again, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, because that's temporary, but on what is unseen, for what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And that word fix uh, is the Greek word skopel, where I don't know if, uh, and I'm just taking a chance here, we might get the English word scope, you know, when you have a telescopic uh, lens on a, on, a, on a rifle, you focus in on where you want that bullet to go. And that word scopel means to aim and to regard and to consider. So we consider what is the right thing and not the wrong thing. And so the question sometimes is, you know, in the long-term scheme of things, does it matter? Now, I grew up in a Greek family where we had these old wives' tales. And in fact, they're pretty strong today. You know, things like um, never give perfume as a gift. Huh? What, why? I don't know. <laughs> I asked my mom, you know, this, this kind of taboo, this, this Greek myth or story, why do we? I don't know. Just do it. Or don't do it. <laughs> Never give somebody a knife. Huh? Put it down. The other person must take it. What do you, but why? I don't know. Never get married in a leap year. Bad luck. Oh, no, 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 don't do this one. If you go to a Greek person's house, you'll always find this like smoked, except ours, it, it, you, you'll find this like burnt cross on the front doorpost. Why? I don't know. Everybody do it. All the Greek people do it. Why you don't do it? But why must you do it? I don't know. You must do it. The evil eye. The evil eye. If somebody kind of looks at you, be careful. They put the evil eye on you. Huh? Huh? Why? What power do they have? No, 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 it's not the power, it's real. You take the eye away, the baby gets sick. You see? When, in the, in, folk, we had a traditional Greek wedding, and before we went into the church, we stood outside, and we had to spit three times. You denounce Satan. Pooh, pooh, pooh. And then while you're walking down the aisle, people are poo on you. <laughs> spitting all the evil out of you. So you have a good marriage. You get to the front, you're soaked. <laughs> Why is that? I don't know. That's what we do. So we can often allow these things to creep into our lives. Sometimes you whistle at night. <whistles> no, you don't do this one. Why? Because you called the evil spirit. Huh? You don't get that. But I couldn't say to my grandmother, actually, what is it 
matter in the long-term scheme of things? So what you do is, when you go around the corner and she's not listening because she's a bit deaf, <laughs> you know, so sometimes we ask some of those questions. Does it actually matter? Because we fight about things that don't matter. And we become a stumbling block for somebody else. Paul in Galatians 5.13 talks about our freedom in Christ. says, you my brothers were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in your sinful nature. Rather serve one another in love. In other words, what he's done is he's taken this do not, do not, do not, the negative, and turned it into serving, something positive. And so what is it all about? Well, friends, it's all about submitting to the lordship of Jesus Christ, to humbling yourself, to bowing your knee to Jesus, and maybe asking the question, WWJD, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? Thirdly, and in closing, freedom says, well, I'm free, but when in doubt, don't. I'm free, but when in doubt, don't. And in verse 22, he he says, listen, it's between me and God, actually, and some of my, my issues. Whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. So there's some issues that we may not agree on. But you know what? Are you going to become a stumbling block because of that issue? Folk, when I went to Bible college in 1989, I'd just come out of two years in the army. I was so square, hey, that somebody said that my kids will have square heads. I just, I excelled in the army because everything was square, polished, everything, boom, boom, everything, you know, square. And then I got married. Um, (laughs) Everything, you kind of go, you know, I polished the polisher, man. They thought I'd lost it. I thrived. I made that polisher glow. But you know, at the end of the day, coming out of army and going to Bible college, first year we had to live on campus, when I made my bed in the morning, then I have my quiet time, I would not let anybody enter my room or sit on my bed until that evening. Because everything needs to be square, because that's my world. My room was uh, probably about five meters away from the showers. And the one time somebody fell and hurt themselves and started screaming. And I thought, I'm having my quiet time. Tough. That person nearly bled to death before I heard things taking, you know, having a, a bit of a commotion. I'm having my quiet time. I am being religious. I'm in my little pond and nothing is going to move me. That person can bleed to death. You see, becoming so religious and so pharisaical that works for you, but you insisted on everybody else is extremely dangerous. Extremely dangerous. And I need to be careful to this day that I don't set that standard for others, because it's actually the worst place to be. It's the worst place to be, because you set such high standards that not even you can reach them, and in the process, you condemn others, and you become a stumbling block for the weaker person. Firefold test as we end. What does the Bible say about this issue? 
What does the Bible say about this issue? Well, it doesn't say too much about, you know, uh, not uh, smoking uh, pot. It doesn't say that, do not smoke pot. But it certainly says that the temple, is the, or the body, is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so there are some things that are, are, are not clear in Scripture. The word abortion doesn't appear in the Bible. But certainly, the whole Bible is pro-life. It says some things clearly. There are other things that are not so clear. And so those things that are not so clear, praise God, there have been others who have gone before us that we can ask uh, and get input from. Secondly, can I thank God for it? With a clear conscience, can I uh, thank God for this? That, that, that little voice inside, that little voice inside, um, if something happens, can I thank God for this? Thirdly, if Jesus returned, would I be ashamed? I remember, um, you know, uh, when I went through those drinking days years ago, uh, we'd actually go, no, we're going to preach the gospel in the nightclub. <laughs> Whatever. Really? If Jesus were to return, would you even recognize him? Because you're so blotted, but you're going to preach and justify your sin in the nightclub? And so we often ask that question. If Jesus returned, would I be ashamed? Absolutely a hundred times if I reflect on it now. Fourthly, would it make a weaker Christian stumble? Somebody that is less mature than me, that is perhaps uh, not fully understanding the scriptures, would that would that, that help that person, or would it actually become something that would uh, trip them up? So, when in doubt, don't. Paul says in one John two twenty eight, says, "Now, little children, abide in Him that is." In Jesus, so you may have confidence before him and not be ashamed of his coming. And finally, when in doubt, don't. The story of this, this man, uh, and he's in, uh, trying to put on a shirt, and his wife is in another room, and, and he says to her, he says, Honey, should, can I wear this shirt or should I put a clean shirt on? And she says, Put the clean shirt on. And then he went to her afterwards after putting a clean shirt. He says, how did you know between the two? Whether, you know, the one shirt was not good and I needed to put the clean shirt on. By virtue that you had doubt about it, says something. It says something. So when in doubt, don't. You know, in Hebrews 13, 18, it says, pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience. That's the issue. And folk, what is a conscience? A conscience is that still small voice inside that says something is right or wrong. That little voice that we need to be listening to. Let me end off by playing your clip, and then we'll close off in prayer. In Alaska, doing a lawsuit. We're way out in the Aleutian Islands, getting ready to leave and go back to Anchorage and then home. And I had a ticket in my pocket to get on an airplane. And a pastor came up and he said, listen, I can save you money. 
I said, how's that? He said, I flew a small airplane up here. And I fly a small airplane. And I can take you in my little airplane and you can save your ticket. And this did not sound, I said, gee, thank you so very, very much. But I've got this ticket. We'll just make our way on home, me and this other lawyer with me. He said, no, 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 you got to do it. You got to do it. And against every better judgment I had, I said, okay. Well, we went out to the airport, took us by his little plane, and I looked at it. And I thought, well, one good thing, it's shiny. Then he walked around it. We got in. He's on the left front. I'm on the right front. The other lawyer's sitting right behind me. And he started it up. And it started up just fine. Well, we taxied out. I said, should we pray? He said, yeah, that's a good idea. We normally don't. I said, well, this time we're going <laughs> to. And I'm telling you, I prayed five, eight minutes. I prayed a long time. We went and got on the runway. He starts down the runway. The plane lifted off ever so gently, and we start climbing. And it's wonderful. Not a problem in the world. We started climbing, and we flew probably three, four minutes. And something happened that will never leave my mind. The pilot turned to me and he said, we're going in the clouds and I can't fly in clouds. They make me pass out. I said, clouds make you do what? <laughs> now it's been cloudy all day. And we go right up into the clouds and you can't see anything. And he looks at me and his eyes roll back in his head and he starts mumbling and he passes out passed out cold. Now I grabbed him and I shook him and I said, come on, you got to wake up so I can kill you. Now we're in the clouds flying along with no pilot. And my friend in the back seat said, we're dead, aren't we? I said, there's a very good chance of that. Yes. He said, what are we going to do? I said, I don't know. But there was a radio right there and I handed him the microphone and I said, start asking for help. So he's in the back seat reaching up and he said, hello, hello. We didn't know any proper radio etiquette. All we were saying was hello. And somebody answered back, hello, hello. Don't you guys know proper radio etiquette? And I said, give it to me. I said, tell them we don't know nothing. Tell them we're in an airplane with a passed out pilot and we don't know how to fly this plane. The guy said, I'm a freighter flying out of Anchorage on the way to Tokyo. And he said, you're telling me you have nobody who can fly that plane with you? I said, tell them that's correct. Now you gotta understand, I am sweating bullets. He said, the first thing I'm gonna do is start circling so I don't lose you because I'll fly out of range of your radio and you won't have me anymore. And he said, I'm going to get Anchorage Emergency for you. And Anchorage Emergency will be the people that can maybe help you try to save your life. After about five minutes, Anchorage came on, said, we understand you have a passed out pilot. And those of you do not know how to fly that plane. We said, that's right. They said, well, the first thing we got to do is find you. And I'll never forget what this man at Anchorage said. He said, my job is to get you home safe. He said, that's my job. But he said, here's the deal. If you want me to get you home safe, you got to promise me you'll obey my voice. He said, you can't see me, but I can see you. And he said, if you're not going to obey my voice, you're going to die. When you can't see anything, you have no idea how disorientated you become. Finally, he said, okay, I found you. Now hear me clear. He said, you're four minutes from a mountain. He said, you're going to crash in that mountain and die. Follow my voice. I never said... I have to follow your voice? Is that reasonable? You see, I understood without his voice, I had nothing. And do you understand, without God's voice, you have nothing. Nothing. 
Finally, he got us turned. And he said, I'm freezing all the traffic in the area. He said, it's going to take me an hour and a half to get you to Anchorage. And there's a lot of weather between you and Anchorage. You're in for a rough ride. And he said, I want you to hear me. I don't want you to look at what's going on outside. I don't want you to pay attention to the storm, just my voice. He said, if you start watching the storm, you will die. But I'll take you through it. Now, because they cleared all the traffic, several pilots, those nighttime freighters, those 747s started talking to us. They said, we're praying for you, men. You're going to make it. But listen to the voice. That's the key. They said, trust the voice. You realize your head is full of voices. And everybody in this world wants to talk to you. And everybody wants to be the controlling voice. And God says, I want you to be a living sacrifice. I want you to put yourself on the altar and let my voice be your voice. Finally, we went through the worst of the weather, but there was still more. And then the voice came back and it said, now, I'm going to line you up. He said, I'm going to bring you in right down the runway. And at the foot of the runway are some lights and they're in the form of a cross. He said, don't you forget this. The cross is the way home. Finally, he's bringing us down. We still can't see anything. And all he kept saying is, stay with me. My sheep, the Bible says, hear my voice and they follow me. Finally, just a couple hundred feet off the ground, we saw the cross. I landed the plane. In fact, I landed it seven times. Finally, it all came to a stop. And the minute we stopped, the pilot woke up. The voice said, thanks for listening. I watch them crash and burn all the time because they won't follow my voice. They don't understand I'm the one who can see them even when they can't see me. But they get the voices in their head and they kill themselves. They self-destruct. Thanks for listening to the voice. Then they put us in a motel room at about four in the morning. The knock at my door. And I opened the door and a man was standing there, he said, hello, David. I said, you're the voice. You're the one who got me home. He said, I am. Do you understand one day you're going to stand before him and say, you were the voice. You're the voice that brought me home. If you're not on that altar as a living sacrifice, your head's full of voices. And then we wonder why kids crash and burn. We wonder why marriages are shattered. And the Lord's saying, I'm the one who has the voice. All I can remember is that voice saying, stay with me. Stay with me. Don't listen to what's going on in your head and don't watch the storm. Stay with me. And I'll take you through. Tonight you have a God who has promised to take you through. A living sacrifice, holy. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word to our hearts. Lord, thank you that you are the good shepherd 
and we are your sheep. Lord, you promise to bless when we hear your voice. So Lord, help us to tune in, to abide in you, to hear that voice. That voice that becomes our conscience so we can bring glory, honor, and fame to your holy name. Lord, we want to acknowledge that we cannot do it in our own strength, but only by your Holy Spirit. Friends, as you sit here this morning, perhaps that voice is a bit dim. Perhaps you're not even hearing that voice. I want to encourage you. Get some of those things out the way so you can hear that voice. And that voice will guide you and will lead you. Lord, your word tells us that the sheep hear your voice, but they don't follow a stranger. Perhaps there have been strangers that have come and crept in that have uh, allowed you to hear other voices come back through that cross to the one true voice because he will lead you home. Father, help us to do this, we pray, for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.